122, Psalm 122, verses 1 to 9. Read the whole Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together, to which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord, an ordinance for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For their thrones were set for judgment the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. And uh, from a psalm that details one area of the, the good works and fruit that we desire in our lives, the good of serving God in his church. We turn to a more general prayer in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, I'll read verses 1 to 11. Text for the sermon is verses 9 to 11. And then I'll read from the Westminster Confession, articles 2 and 3. starting from verse 1 in Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now a text from verses 9 to 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Then from the Westminster Confession, should be inside your bulletin, chapter 16 and articles 2 and 3. 
in the chapter on good works. These good works, Article 2, these good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. And by them, believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, edify their brethren, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of the adversaries, and glorify God whose workmanship they are, created in Christ Jesus thereunto, that having their fruit unto holiness, they may have the end, eternal life. And then Article 3 Their ability to do good works is not at all of themselves, but wholly from the Spirit of Christ, and that they may be enabled thereunto, beside the graces they have already received, there is required an actual influence of the same Holy Spirit to work in them to will and to do of his good pleasure. Yet are they not hereupon to grow negligent? as if they were not bound to perform any duty unless upon a special motion of the Spirit, but they ought to be diligent in stirring up the grace of God that is in them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, since we have seen and will see again that good works are defined by your word, Will you enable us to believe in that word and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be committed to him, to be committed to your word, to be committed to you so that we can begin to do good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Covenant people of God, Uh, Dieticians recommend that we eat a good amount of fruit. Some recommend one and a half to two cups of fruit a day. I can't uh, pretend that I follow that advice personally, but uh, that's the recommendation that comes from many dieticians. But of course, I'm not speaking this afternoon as a dietician. When I talk about fruit out of this passage and also in connection with what we read in the Westminster Confession, I'm not talking about the fruit that we put into our mouths, but rather about the spiritual fruit that we display in our lives. It's this latter kind of fruit with which our lives should be filled. The text speaks in that sense, as I mentioned, of being filled with the fruit of righteousness. As part of the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Philippians. And it's also something that comes up in uh, these articles in the Westminster, this matter of bearing fruit. Articles 2 and 3 deal with the source and the benefits of this fruit bearing. Three points as we look at this this afternoon. First of all, the prayer for fruit. Secondly, the source of this fruit. And thirdly, the purpose of this fruit. So the prayer for it, the source of it, and the purpose for it. In the first place, just to make sure that we all understand what kind of fruit it is we're talking about here, and 
what kind of fruit we ought to be praying about. The good fruit of the spiritual kind is what comes into our thoughts and also uh, along with that our desires, what it is we really desire. Uh, it comes into, it comes out of our mouths and also it is expressed in our actions, thoughts, words and deeds, desires as well, that are according to God's word and pleasing in his sight through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I won't read it now, but if you want to read a similar passage that also expounds this idea, uh, when you go home, if you want to, you could read it uh, from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. Another very good uh, and helpful passage on that subject. It's called fruit because it is an outworking of being connected to the root, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are branches connected to that root, of the Lord Jesus, and because we're branches uh, connected to that healthy root, the expectation is that we will be bearing fruit on those branches. Uh, that's what normally happens with a fruit tree. And on that subject, a good passage to read, Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20, which talks about the fact that a good tree is expected to bear good fruit. That's the kind of fruit that the Apostle Paul is praying for. The kind, as we saw last week, that is warranted, commanded, instituted, however you want to say it, by God's word. To use that language that we found in the previous article in the Westminster, Article 1, and which also is reflected in Lord's Day 33 in the Heidelberg Catechism, Question and Answer 91. And because it's something that's connected to God's word, we therefore find in this prayer of the Apostle Paul more language that is connected with God's word because he talks about having real knowledge. Real knowledge over against false knowledge, uh, over against a mere human invention or a mere human tradition. And he talks about also having all discernment. Again, the ability to distinguish uh, that which the Lord says is good Good thoughts, good words, good deeds, good desires, being able to distinguish that from mere human opinion and having distinguished the good from the bad, then approving the things that are good in God's sight, the things that are excellent according to his word. Actually, by speaking in this way, what the apostle is really saying is that uh, what we need is wisdom. Because these are wisdom words. This is wisdom language. The approving of things according to knowledge and discernment. That's the kind of language you find in Proverbs 1, verses 1 to 7, which, as I've mentioned before, if you want to understand all the things that are packed into wisdom, biblically speaking, that's the go-to chapter because that takes, uh, Proverbs 1, verses 1 to 7, takes virtually every word for wisdom with all its different shades of meaning and all its different aspects, virtually every word in the Hebrew language and packs them all into those seven verses and then ties them all in the end of that section into the fear of God. So the apostle is praying that if you want to bear, he wants the Philippians to, to bear that fruit, to act on the basis of what God has given them and show that fruit, but to do so they're going to need wisdom, a wisdom that is 
grounded in the godly fear of God and which leads to works that are according with God's word. The knowledge we get from that word, the discernment that we get from that word and the ability to apply that that we get from the Holy Spirit. Well, the Apostle Paul could have gone on to pray for other criteria for good works, such as those listed in Westminster um, chapter 16 and also in, in, uh, in, in 16.2 especially, and uh, in the Heidelberg Catechism in question answer 91. He could have talked about the necessity of faith, as the Westminster does, that which arises out of true faith. Uh, Westminster, uh, that's sorry, in the uh, Heidelberg in question answer 91, Westminster 16.2, God work, good works are the fruits and evidence of a true and lively faith. So he could have talked about faith. He could have also talked about thankfulness. Westminster 16.2, by them believers manifest their thankfulness. And these are things we looked at last week. How necessary it is, if you want to do good works, how necessary it is that you have a life that is thankful, grateful for what God has done for you, the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ especially, and the necessity also of not only of having that faith, but also gratitude. We saw all that last week. But instead, instead of focusing on those things in the text, the apostle focuses on love. He prays that the love of the Philippians may abound still more and more. And this is the language of superabundance. Abounding means something that happens more and more. Abounding more and more is doubling that idea of abundance. It is strengthening that request, saying that the apostle doesn't only pray for them that they will do uh, good works out of love, but also that they will be super abundant in that. Now, the law of God is summarised by that word love, the wholehearted love of God and the love of neighbour as self. Such love is itself a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5 verse 22 and for that matter, we could even say gratitude, thankfulness, is not uh, listed as a fruit of the Spirit in the Bible, but uh, it's very, very closely related. Because uh, even though it's not in the lists there, it's nevertheless an essential attitude that is created in God's people by the work of his Word and Spirit. And so very, very similar, it's a grace, if you like, uh, created in us by the work of the Spirit, just as he creates the fruits that are listed, for example, in Galatians 5.22. And so these things are closely associated in the Christian, the love, the joy, and so forth, listed as fruits, but also this matter of gratitude. For the thing is, you can't have Christian gratitude to God without love of God. How would that be possible? How could you be truly thankful in the Christian, in the biblical sense, truly thankful for what God has done for you and in the same breath say, but I don't, don't love him. I don't care for God. It's unthinkable that those things could be separated. And they also, the love of God is also separated from the, with the love of neighbour. So again, in the doing of good works, all of these things are interconnected. 
and all the other good works that we do, whatever good it is that you think, whatever good it is that you speak or do, all of these things branch out of, from these basic works of the Holy Spirit as he puts into our hearts the love of God, the love of neighbour and gratitude to God for our salvation. There is another point in linking these things together, love, knowledge and discernment, or love and wisdom, if you want to say it that way. And that is to show that what we're talking about here, when the Bible talks about love, it's not just talking about feelings. It's not even primarily talking about emotions. Biblical love is an attitude created in us by word and spirit, that desires to give all the glory to God that we can and desires to help our neighbour as much as we can according to what the scripture says. So good works, good fruits, are not simply those that we feel to be good or that we feel we're doing the right thing. They are things that are right according to God's word as we saw last week. But at the same time, it's possible that one can be doing the right thing, according to God's word. But what we learn from the way the Apostle expresses things here in Philippians 1, if that doing of the right thing is not joined also to the love of God, and for that matter to faith in God and gratitude to him, if those things are not joined together, then we simply do not have the proper motive And the works that we're doing are no longer regarded as good in God's eyes. Only with these criteria met, wisdom rooted in the fear of God, wisdom defined and governed by his word, coupled with the love of God and neighbour, with gratitude to God, only then can we really speak of being filled with righteousness. And that, you might notice, is more superabundance language. Abounding more and more in love, in real, or you could also, some translations have it in full knowledge, again, an abundance of it, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, using language that implies uh, that word filled there, is using language that means you've you've already been filled with it, but that has an ongoing effect into the present. As opposed to having a life that is barren or bare. Uh, God, in other words, has given us everything that we need in order to do good works, and now he calls us to work at that. Remember what the Lord Jesus did to the fig tree that... It was expected to have figs on it. It gave promise of having figs on it. It was the right time of the year and so on, and it looked good and healthy from a distance, but it turned out to be barren in Matthew 21, verses 18 to 19. You see, the Lord assumes that in the case of his people, this filling has already been given to us, You have been, having been filled, he says. So there is no no excuse for the Christian to not be super abundant in the doing of good works. There is no excuse for the Christian to be the barren fig tree. Now, last week we saw the source of those good works, of good fruit, 
And we saw that that source is the triune God. And uh, here I don't want to spend much time repeating what we saw last time, but rather to add to it, because there's a little bit more here that we can add to it. In our second point, the source of this fruit. That God is the source of this fruit is implied by the fact that it's connected to knowledge and discernment, wisdom if you like, and wisdom is something that can only come from God. True knowledge is something that can only come from God. The proper kind of discernment only comes from God. And it is designed, as verse 11 tells us, to bring praise and glory to God. It's all about him. It's from him and it is to him. Then we find also in verse 11 that this fruit comes through the Son. The fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. Righteousness is imputed to us through the work of the Lord Jesus on the ground of his death and also his perfect obedience. Moreover, he sends his Holy Spirit to impart that righteousness to us so that we begin to live righteously. We begin to desire good works, good thoughts, good words, good deeds that are in obedience to his word and that spring out of gratitude for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is no wonder then that Westminster 16.2 says that good works are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, uh, citing Ephesians 2 verse 10. The text doesn't really spell out the work of the Holy Spirit in this respect, but the Westminster 16 article 3 certainly does. The ability to do good works is holy from the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit brings the new birth to us. The sinner is passive in that. It's not something we do to ourselves. It is God's work, a work that only the Spirit can accomplish, a work in which he is active doing something to us. The Holy Spirit also gives us the gift of faith by which we are united with the Lord Jesus Christ and receive all of the benefits of his work, including the benefit of having his righteousness imputed to us. Though when it comes to faith, we also cooperate with the Holy Spirit, actively ourselves turning to the Lord Jesus Christ once we are given this gift of faith by God. Then the Holy Spirit works other graces and fruits in us, such as love and gratitude, in which, again, we do ourselves actively cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work so that we begin to do things out of our own gratitude, grateful hearts that have been given to us, and we uh, act on the basis of love ourselves. We're not passive in that. But then also we are reminded here that each particular good work that we have opportunity to do, whatever it is, if it's something you're th a good thing that you are thinking, good in God's eyes, if it's something you're saying to another Christian, maybe encouraging them, maybe praying for them, uh, helping them, giving them good counsel, or a good deed that you do, a good work of any kind, each time that happens with every one of those particular good works, that is something that is moved by the Holy Spirit. And moved in such a way that we not only think about doing it, but that we actually get around to acting on it as necessary. 
It's uh, our problem half the time, isn't it? That we, we know what we should be doing, we think about it, we tell ourselves, I'm going to do that, I'm going to read my Bible more often or whatever else it is, and when the time comes where it often breaks down, that we don't go the next step from thinking about it and speaking about it to actually doing it, to acting on what we know we should be doing. But even that ability to act on it is something that comes from the work of the Holy Spirit. We are uh, truly dependent then on the triune God when it comes to the bearing of good fruit in our lives. Now at this point, the Westminster in 16.3 warns against a wrong view of God's sovereignty and a wrong view of the Holy Spirit's work. You may know that Arminianism has historically charged Reformed people that their view, our view of predestination is wrong. And uh, they argue that if you believe what Reformed people believe about predestination, that means that you would say to yourself, I don't need to worry about good works. I don't need to worry about bearing good fruit because if God wants me to do it, if he's predestined it, then he'll make sure it happens. So I don't need to do a thing. And similarly, there is a warning here against having a mystical view Uh, sometimes found in Pentecostalism, a mystical view that I'm only going to act uh, in terms of doing good deeds, bearing good fruit. I'm only going to act when I feel the Spirit moving and compelling me to do a certain thing. And in answer to that, the Westminster warns against this kind of negligence, saying I don't need to do my duty unless I sense some uh, special compulsion or movement of the Holy Spirit. Even the word duty should give away to us why that argument is so wrong, because these things are a duty for the Christian to do good works. But more than that, it ought to be something that's arising spontaneously in our lives out of that love for God and gratitude, which we've uh, talked about earlier in this sermon. God has given grace to all of his people so that we may do good. Having been filled with righteousness, we have already been given it in Christ. But the thing is, we either sit on that and ignore it, or we cooperate with the Spirit and start stirring ourselves up with God's help to action, using what has been given to us. And the Westminster says we ought to be diligent in that. We ought to be diligent in stirring up the grace that God has put and given to us. And we do that stirring up by studying and meditating on God's word, by prayer, and by our use of the means of grace. Because those are the things that draw us back again and again to fix our eyes upon the Lord Jesus. And it's when we fix our eyes on him that the gratitude comes again if you're a Christian. That you are reminded of how much we have to be thankful for. And how much we are reminded by that of how great God is. The God whom we love. So that we want all the more to bring out that basket of fruit and offer it to him again. So that's how we, we stir those things up rather than sitting on it. Having considered this week and the last week much about the Lord's requirement that we must bear good fruit and also the work that he has done to make sure that we can show it, 
uh, we might ask the question, why does the Lord do so much in this regard? After all, it's not like he needs fruit for his own health, as the uh, dietitians say that we do. After all, he owns the cattle, he owns the fruit on a thousand hills. So why go to so much trouble to instruct us, to command us, to enable us? Why go to so much trouble? Our third and final point, the purpose of this fruit. Well, despite what I said about God not needing our good works, we should nevertheless understand that he does insist on our good works for his own name's sake. We have been and we are filled with the fruit of righteousness to the praise, the glory and praise of God. Verse 11. Because as the Westminster reminds us, these things adorn the profession of the gospel. And they demonstrate that they adorn the gospel in this way. The gospel tells us that we haven't saved ourselves. God has through the Lord Jesus Christ. Our good works adorn the gospel because they show the same truth in a slightly different way. They show that God really is and he really does change lives on the basis of what he has done. And that also stops the mouths of those who say, ah, believers, they're no different than anyone else. And if truth be told, they're probably worse. And the reason they're no different than or worse than anywhere else is because the God whom they claim created this world, rules this world and has redeemed it simply does not exist. That is what unbelievers claim. But when they see these works that adorn the gospel, they are reminded that that is not the case. Their belief is wrong. And they see that there really is a God. They may not admit it, but they have a demonstration that there really is, the God of the Bible really is, and he really does change lives. So it's not that God needs our help. It's not that the gospel needs our help. Rather, it is to say that God is worthy of all glory, and this is a way that we can have him glorified according to his purposes. And the gospel doesn't need our help, but it is worth adorning the gospel. However imperfectly we do so. Those are purposes, a purpose for good works that have to do with God's own name. There are also purposes in fruit bearing that benefit us as God's people. The Westminster in 16.2 mentions that such works demonstrate a lively faith and a thankful heart. As such... They strengthen our assurance of salvation as well. They strengthen our assurance that we actually do have the work of God's word and spirit in our lives because otherwise we would not change in this way that we are able to do good work, speak good words, think good thoughts according to God's definition and do good deeds. So as we see these things in our lives, far from having our sense of assurance Weakened because we can't see any good in our lives, and then we say to ourselves, Well, how is it possible that I have faith? If there's no good, if I'm not doing anything in my life that could be described as good, how could I ever think that I had faith? 
How could I think that I ever had any gratitude in my life? And if those things are missing, then how could I claim to be a Christian? But far from weakening that sense, when we bear this fruit in our lives, again, we see God at work, the living God at work, doing exactly what he has said he is going to do to produce in us this crop of good fruit, however flawed we are in that too. And related to that assurance, that issue of assurance, good works also have their end in eternal life. For every person who is united to Christ by faith is filled with his spirit and moved by his word for progressive sanctification and for perseverance in such until we reach the end of our course in eternal life. The ground of that salvation is none other than Christ. It is Christ alone. But the demonstration of that, that life, that uh, fruit, the demonstration of that comes in good fruit that arises out of the root, Christ, who always takes his people along this pathway, the pathway of fruit bearing, which leads us on the way to eternal life. Finally, there is the purpose of benefit to others. Other Christians are edified when they see this, these things in us. They are encouraged when they see the living God at work changing your life. And they are reminded when they see that, that they also need to cooperate with God's spirit and have their own life changed. And unbelievers benefit when they see that work adorning the gospel and have their excuses about the hypocrisy of Christians challenged, not to deny that we have elements of hypocrisy in it, but again, when we demonstrate that there is more than hypocrisy in our lives, there is the work of the triune God in us and behind that for us. So much work on God's part for a good crop of fruit in your life. So much value for a good crop of fruit in your life. So many reasons to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in filling your life more and more with good fruit. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, would you help us to uh, bring these matters into our prayers, that uh, we would pray not only for the various daily practical needs that we or others have, but that we would also be praying for ourselves and for our brethren that you would fill our lives with good fruit so that we may demonstrate the priorities of your kingdom and your righteousness. Help us to pray for each other that we may grow in grace in the bearing of spiritual fruit, in the progress of sanctification, in maturity. Father, help us also in our struggle against sin, so that we do not, uh, with the one hand, demonstrate these things, this good fruit that you have wrought, but with the other hand to uh, work in the opposite direction and undermine uh, much of the benefit that can come from the displaying of these things. Father, we pray that 
all of this would be something that we desire and do for primarily for the sake of your glory, also for the benefit of other Christians, even for unbelievers, if they are unable to notice these things and the benefit for ourselves, but above all for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The saints' uh, strong desire is to see Jehovah bless and prosper Jerusalem, his church, our brethren, and this certainly this matter of bearing fruit is a big part of that uh, prospering that God does for his people. We'll stand to sing it, number 262, and would you please remain standing afterwards for the blessing and doxology, 262.
After the blessing is our doxology, we sing from number 280, stanzas 1 and 3. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.